Well, welcome to church, everybody. How are we feeling today? Come on. So thankful that you decided to come and gather with us today and thankful that you are here. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at The Journey. And before we go any further, I want to take a moment. I just want to look right into the camera to say hello to everybody that is joining us online during this gathering. Excited that you are along for the ride. Newark, come on. Can you help me give it up for everybody joining us online right now? Excited that you're here. And uh, if you are in the Middletown area, I promise you, there is a location of the journey coming to you this fall. We're excited about it. So uh, glad that you are here today. And I'm just so honored that Pastor Mark gives me the opportunity to teach a few times a year. And he wanted me to tell you guys that he loves you and uh, can't wait uh, to be back soon. But before uh, we jump into the message, he also wanted uh, me to share with you where we landed with our Easter offering. We've been talking about this for the last several weeks, and so many of you have been praying and listening and have given in the Easter offering. And uh, I'm excited to tell you that we saw 362 households participate in our Easter offering. And uh, we have completed our Middletown launch budget to launch and sustain that for the first full year. So thank God. We also gave to help uh, church planners all across the country be able to launch life-giving churches in the cities that need it most across North America. And then we've also planted the first few seeds in the ground for future locations of the journey. And so we're so excited about that. Thank you for your faithfulness to God and giving above and beyond your regular giving to help more people find Jesus and follow him fully. I just believe there's going to come a day where you will get to heaven and God will share with you how your generosity made a difference, even if you don't see it here on earth. So thank you for your generosity. Can we thank God one more time for what he did in our Easter offering? Thank God. Well, over the last several weeks, we've been in a series that we've been calling Good Grief. And I think this... This series, while it's been challenging at times, has been really powerful, and I want to encourage you that if you have not listened to all the messages in this series, I want to encourage you to go back on our YouTube channel and listen to them, because especially if you find yourself in the season of grief, or heartache, or loss, or hopelessness, or hurt, or wherever you are, I think it can be really helpful for you and challenging for you. And so, uh, for today, I'm just going to shoot straight with you, if that's okay. Like, I'm going to be real... I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be vulnerable because I am not a stranger to grief. So in my mind, there's no point in sugarcoating it because later on today, during my message, I will tell you about the hardest season that I've had to face, uh, my wife and I, and what I learned in the process of that about God, our own lives, and how we can have a path forward in seasons of grief. And I hope it'll be helpful for you. But before we get there, I want to take a moment. I need to set it up a little bit, and I want to ask you a question, okay? Just honesty. Let's just go full honesty and transparency in the room, all right? How many of you are like me? and you are a control freak. Come on, how many control freaks we got in the room today? Show your hands. If you're online, let us know in the chat that you are a control freak. I am definitely a control freak. It's okay to be honest. One of my favorite parts of when I ask that question is all the control freaks put their hands in the air and all the people that are with them go. Because <laughs> everybody knows when you're like me and you are a control freak. I love being in control. I want to control how fast traffic is moving, don't you? I will never understand why people slow down for a cop that has already pulled somebody over. <laughs> Makes no sense. I want to control things when it comes to my food. Important. If you're a young adult in the room, you know that that second scoop of chicken in your Chipotle burrito bowl is a necessary addition to your lunch. 
That is, I need that in my life. You do not get this figure without having the second scoop of chicken, everybody. It's what happens. I want to control my wife's mood. That one's a little bit more tense. (laughs) But guys, you know this is true. Whether your wife is in a mood or the mood, you want to be able to control it, right? Like, we we want to be in control. That's part of our, our story. See, I love being in control. And when I'm not, I'm not happy. I'm actually annoyed or frustrated or anxious. And sometimes I'm just left waiting for someone else to get their stuff together so that I can actually live my life the way that I want to. You been there? You want to be in control. But sometimes those feelings of being in control can go deeper than just our driving habits or our Chipotle order. Because sometimes we go through seasons of our life where it feels like so much more than those small things are out of our control. Sometimes it feels like life is spiraling and we're not sure which way to go. Or maybe it feels like our grief and loss are going to define us and we aren't sure which path to take. Like they're going to take us out or our life will forever be determined by this thing that happened in our past. Or we're not sure if we will ever be happy in the same way again. And it's in those seasons that if I can be very honest with you and transparent on the front end, I have asked myself, where is God in the midst of those seasons? Why does he let me go through seasons like that? Why do I feel like I'm alone? Because sometimes it feels like I'm looking around during those seasons of loss or hopelessness or not sure which way to go. And it feels like God is nowhere to be found. So if you're here today and you're still curious about church or faith, but you're not really sure you want to commit fully to it, maybe this is your very first time coming to church either ever or in a very long time, one of the things I just want to tell you on the front end is I think that I'm no stranger to it, and I think you and I might be a little bit more alike than you might think, because I struggle with things like that. So as we get ready to dive into this message today of how we can explore God's best for us in these seasons, we're going to look at a story in the Bible that's about three characters named Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And we find them in a difficult part of their story because Martha and Mary are hoping to uh, send a message to Jesus because their brother Lazarus is sick. And their brother Lazarus is actually on the verge of death. And that's where they send this message to Jesus saying, Jesus, hey, can you come and heal Lazarus? Can you come and be around him? Because we need your help. And it's in this time that John, one of Jesus' disciples who was there during that season, recalls the event and he shares with us this. He says, but when Jesus heard about it, meaning Lazarus being sick, He said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God, meaning Jesus, will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. How many of you here today are Amazon Prime members? You're an Amazon Prime member. Just show of hands, show of hands online, let us know. Amazon Prime members. Isn't it like the greatest invention of our generation? Amazon Prime is amazing. You can order dog food, a part for your car, or toilet paper with someone's face on it, and it comes in two days. It's spectacular. It's like the greatest invention of all time. Now, Amazon is even doing this thing called same-day delivery. Have you noticed it? Oh, man, that's like a blessing from the Lord. 
same day delivery. You're telling me that I can add something to my cart, check out, it can go to your warehouse, you can pick it off of a shelf, pack it in a box, get it on a truck and get it to my front door in eight hours, I'm impressed. I am impressed. So impressed now that if you've used same day delivery, aren't you a little bit annoyed when you have to wait two days now? Come on, you're like, what kind of peasant do you think I am having to wait for two days for my order? Jeff Bezos, who do you think, what gives you the right? Did I mention that I'm a little bit of a control freak, everybody? (laughs) I'm a control freak. Well, for Mary and Martha, they wanted Jesus on same-day delivery. They didn't want to wait for any of this two-day nonsense because they knew Lazarus was sick and he wasn't getting better. They needed Jesus to come urgently to help their brother Lazarus because he needed it most. And after all, they are all friends. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they had all hung out together. They had relationship equity. They had spent time in each other's presence, so they knew each other well. So imagine in this moment being Mary and Martha pacing around the house. I imagine them wondering if Jesus is on his way or fretting about Lazarus getting even sicker. I imagine them getting frustrated about the fact that Jesus has not shown up. I imagine that they were like, Jesus, where are you? Why aren't you coming to help? And apparently Jesus just decides that for two days it's not that big of a deal. Like, why does that make sense? What in the world? And so finally... Jesus decides to go visit Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but after Jesus makes this decision to go visit, we find out that Lazarus has died. And so that's where we pick up the story with what happens next. Because when Jesus arrived at Bethany, where the family was, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. So I want you to, again, imagine the stage that is being set here, where the disciples show up to the town where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were, and so many people have come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. They're grieving. It's a funeral. They're, they're not sure what's going to happen next, and this is where the disciples come in. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And for me, this is where the story really comes to life. Because I can imagine the pain that is in Martha's voice. I can imagine the hurt and the grief and the heartache that she's experiencing. I imagine her walking up to Jesus and her eyes are puffy and there's tears rolling down her cheeks and she goes, Jesus, where have you been? I thought we were friends. I thought you had my back. I thought we were good. I thought you were gonna show up whenever I asked you to show up. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And let me just ask you today, church, Have you ever had a moment like that? Ever had a moment where you were expecting God to do something and then he didn't do it in the timeline in which you expected him to do it? And maybe you were left going, God, where have you been? I thought we were friends. I thought you had my back. 
Maybe you find yourself, even in this moment, frustrated with God. You're angry at what he's allowed to happen in your life, or you're annoyed that it's taken him so long to show up, or maybe even blaming him for your circumstances. And trust me, I have been there more often than I'd like to admit. But eventually, even in the midst of that pain, Martha goes and sees Jesus, asks him about it, and eventually Mary does the same thing. She goes to talk to Jesus, and here's what happens next. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said the same thing that Mary said. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, A deep anger welled up within him, which I imagine Jesus being angry at the fact that these circumstances had to take place for him to be where he was. I imagine him being angry that they had to experience the pain that they were going through, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them, and they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You see, Jesus was fully God and fully man, which means that he felt all the same emotions that we do. He felt discouragement and anger and grief and anxiety and the edges of depression. And he was weeping with Martha and Mary as he watched them go through their pain. I picture tears coming down Jesus's cheeks in the same way that they're coming down Mary and Martha's in the same way that they come down hours and seasons of pain. You see, in moments of deepest grief, I think what Jesus wants you to know is that he sees you, that he sees you when you're struggling with the loss of your mom, and he sees you whenever the marriage feels like it's on the the fringes and it's ready for divorce, and he sees you whenever you can't help but go back to the memory of the thing that happened to you when you were a child, and he sees you when you're hoping for the miracle, but it just hasn't come yet. And I came today to tell somebody that even though you're going through that season of grief or loss or heartache, that you are not alone, that Jesus sees you, that he's right alongside of you, that he's here to help. I think Jesus is trying to get our attention today to help us see that we're not alone and that he's not going to waste our pain just like he didn't waste Mary or Martha's. Because here's what happens next in the story. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, which was a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will just be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted into the grave, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. It's a miracle that happens. It's the power of Jesus. 
And we believe, if we're a follower of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is capable of bringing dead things back to life. We believe that this is not just a story that was told in the Bible, but we believe that God is capable of doing this. And why do we believe that? Because as followers of Jesus, we know that he did it for us. We know that he took us in our darkest and hardest seasons where we were so far separated from God by all the mistakes that we had made and the things that we had done and the decisions we had made, and he had brought us from that place of spiritual death into a relationship with him where we could have life and life to the full, and we have all things being made new in our lives. That's what we celebrated last weekend with Baptism Weekend, watching 175 people go public with their faith in Jesus, where all things are made new in our lives. Jesus has performed a miracle for us, just like he did for Lazarus. But if you're like me, it's so much easier to look at the end of Lazarus' story and say, okay, now I see it, God. I needed to see the whole picture of the story to understand what you were trying to do. I needed to see that, oh, there might have been a couple day gap, but you were just, you were planning on raising Lazarus from the dead all along. You, you knew what was happening, so okay, now I can trust that that's something to be trusted. But you see, if, if you're like me, then while you're in the middle of that pain or in the middle of that grief or in the middle of the questioning and the fear and the doubt and the emotion of it all, when we can't see what happens next, it's in those moments that our faith is tested the most. Do we really believe in God or do we just trust some, some version of God that we've made up in our minds? And I think it's in those seasons where our faith is tested in the midst of the grief that we need habits in our life that bring us back to what matters most in growing in our relationship with God. We need these habits that we prioritize. It's why we gather every weekend like this so that we can worship God and tell God how good he is, get our focus off of ourselves and onto the God who created us. We listen to teaching to apply it to our lives and understand what God's word might be saying about our circumstances in today's day and age. It's why we practice a slot and spot, a time on our calendar and a place that we go to prioritize reading our Bible and praying for others. And we do it every day as a daily connection with God so that when the enemy tries to whisper something in our ear in the midst of those seasons and in the midst of the heartache and he tries to whisper lies in our ear, we can replace them with the truth of what God says about us through his word. It's why we serve others so that in those seasons when we're not sure what will happen next, we decide I'm going to serve others as a way of reminding my spirit that this world isn't all about me and my circumstances. I'm going to take a little bit of time every day to focus on someone else. I'm going to serve because you don't necessarily have to work out all of your problems before you serve someone else. That's why we create it as a habit in our lives because we believe that the miracle is coming but my question that I'd like to pose today is, are you ready for it? Is your life designed in a way that the habits that you're creating in your life, if God provided the miracle right now, would it lead to momentum for you? Or would it just be a flash in the pan? Well, I told you at the beginning of the message that I'm not a stranger to grief. It's not something new for me. And that's because for two years, I walked through the hardest season of my life with my wife, Haley. You see, my wife, Haley, and I, we've been married for about six years. 
And uh, we decided early on we didn't want to have kids right away because we just wanted to enjoy each other's company. We wanted to, to have fun together, and we wanted to travel. But then in the fall of 2020, my wife caught a roaring case of baby fever. <laughs> I mean, she, like every infant that she saw, she was like, oh, I want one. <laughs> and that's what, that's what our life was like. So I wasn't fully ready, but I said, okay, I know it's going to take some time. I know it's going to be a process. So let's start trying. So we started trying to have a baby. And every month we'd get really optimistic, like, oh, is this the month that it's going to work? And that it wouldn't happen. We're like, oh, it's okay. We're still early on. No big deal. Nothing to worry about. Well, we tried for about a year and nothing happened. And so we thought about it and we said, okay, not a huge deal, but let's, let's just go see a doctor, okay? Let's rule out anything that might be in the way. Let's just go see a doctor, get some tests done, and, and find out. And so we roll up to the doctor's office, and we're both, we're both so nervous. We're like, is it me? Is it you? What's going to happen next? What happens if it's me? What happens if it's you? How do we navigate this? And Doc comes back to us and says, hey, Brad, Haley, I've got good news. You, there's nothing that I can see that should be preventing you from having children. I don't see any kind of disease. I don't see anything that's in the way. I just, I can't really explain it. So good news, that's good. And we're left going, well, then why isn't it happening? And he said, okay, well, if you want, we can try this procedure that's a relatively low-cost kind of procedure. Uh, but just so you know, your insurance isn't going to cover it. And you know, your, your success rate is okay, but it's not great, but it's at least something that you can try. So my wife and I were like, okay, let's pray about it. Let's think about it for a little bit. And finally we decided, let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. So we tried the procedure in October and in the midst of the waiting season, we're like, okay, this is it. This is what God was trying to do. He's going to write the story. Okay, this is what's going to work. And then in October, it didn't. So we said in November, okay, let's try it again. This is what's going to work. And then it didn't. December, let's... And it didn't. So three months go by. And Haley and I have now been trying for a year and a half, asking God for children. And we're so discouraged. We've wanted to be parents. I can finally visualize myself being a dad. She can visualize herself being a mom. Our conversations are about... What would we name our kids and what would it look like? And we're dreaming and we're asking God, we're praying, we're believing and we're left with God on silent. It feels like God's on mute. What gives God? And here's the interesting thing about seasons of infertility. So if you've, if you've gone through this, you, you know what I'm talking about. And by the way, there's tons of people that their story has taken a lot longer than ours, and I, I can just understand that. I can empathize with that. But so many people would walk up to you whenever you've been married at our age for five or six years. People are like, oh, when are you going to start having kids? And people mean so well, but every part of you is going, I'd sure love to. It's actually all I can think about. And we can't. And so it felt like every time somebody would ask that question, it felt like somebody was just peeling the scab open one more time. And it felt like that wound couldn't heal. So for us, the only thing left for us to try medically was an expensive in vitro procedure. And the doctor said, we can try this. 
Here's what it's going to take. It's going to be a three-month process, and your wife's going to need to come to appointments about every two to three days. She's going to need to get all kinds of tests done, and she's going to need to take injections every day for a season to be able to make sure that this is happening. We can figure out our timing. And so Haley and I, we, we prayed about it. We asked God, and finally we decided, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. And it's, it's January of 2022 at this point, and uh, it's, we're in the middle of our 21 days of prayer and fasting season as a church, and we are, like, praying, praying. Like, I'm telling you, as someone who's on this stage, like, I was bringing the thunder in my prayers, everybody. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm calling on heaven to provide a miracle. I'm in the season of waiting. Our prayer director is praying for us. Pastor Mark is praying for us, and we're in this season. And we finally think, okay, this makes sense. God, I don't understand why it took a year and a half. I don't understand why the month after month process of this hasn't worked. I don't understand why everything has happened the way that it has. But what I do understand is, oh, this must be part of your solution. You must have wanted us to do it this way. So, okay, I'm believing God with faith. And so one Friday in April, Haley got her blood test done that was supposed to be the blood test to see if she was pregnant. And she got a call and she was so nervous. She's like, I, I can't listen to this on my own. So she came home and she's sitting on the ottoman and I'm sitting on the couch and she plays it on speakerphone so that we can listen to the voicemail. And she goes, hey, Haley, just letting you know, this is the doctor's office. We got your test results back and we're excited to tell you that you are indeed pregnant. The only, the only problem is that some of the levels aren't exactly where we would want them to be. So let's check it again on Monday and then we'll go from there. So Haley goes back in on Monday. She goes through the same test. She gets a call later. Same thing happens, and we listen to it together afterwards, and we pick up the phone. Hey, Haley, this is the doctor's office. And we just want to let you know that we got your test results back, and all those levels that we saw have completely dropped, and your pregnancy is going to result in a miscarriage. And I've never cried that much in my life. I've never watched my wife be as broken as she was. It felt like all the oxygen left the room. I couldn't breathe. God, where are you? Why? I thought you had my back. Come on, God, I, I believe you. Your word says that if I have faith as small as a mustard seed, I can move mountain. I'm pretty sure that I've got that much faith. So why? Why would you make us go through this? Why would we have to live in this state of waiting? Why are you not moving on our behalf? God, where are you? And it's in the midst of that that Haley and I decided, okay, let's give it one more try. We're going to take our savings. We're going to put towards it. We're going to give it one more try. And we prayed. I'm telling you, church, we prayed for our kids every day before we ever knew their names. Or We prayed. And we asked God. And one night on a Saturday night, Haley was supposed to go in for that same blood test on Monday to get her test results. 
and on a Saturday night before at church, I, I come home from church and Haley was organizing one of the rooms in our house and I walk in, I'm like, oh, hey, this is great, it looks amazing. And I look down on the table and on the table is a little onesie with a positive pregnancy test draped across the front of it. Haley was pregnant. She, she couldn't wait for the doctor. Haley was pregnant. So we go to the doctor and uh, we get to the doctor's office and uh, they're doing the first ultrasound in the doctor's office and they're, they're looking through and they go, okay, so here's baby number one. <laughs> Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. I'll tell you in six months. <laughs> Jesus did a miracle in our lives. I believe it. You can't convince me it was coincidence. You see, I believe that God walked us through that season of trying. Every single month, we tried we'd get our hopes up and our hopes would be dashed. Every single month, optimism would turn to pessimism, would turn to anxiety, would turn to depression, and then back to optimism. And we lived in the cycle of what's going to happen and is it going to work and is it not? And Jesus ultimately decided in through that season and through that two years of trying, it must be worth two babies to be in Haley's womb. He provided a miracle and so church, I need you to listen to me very carefully because I came to tell somebody today who's been discouraged. I came to tell somebody today who's been on the verge of quitting. I, can, I came to tell somebody today who's struggled with ending their life. I came to tell somebody today who just got a diagnosis and you're not sure what's gonna happen next. I came to tell somebody today who you and your wife have thrown around the divorce word and you think it's over. I came to tell the student today who struggle with their anxiety, who struggle with their identity, who doesn't know who they are in Christ, who doesn't know what your, what your life is all about. I came to tell you that Jesus is capable of looking in the grave of your life and calling those things out the same way he called Lazarus out of them. I believe that Jesus today wants to look into the grave of your circumstances and call out your anxiety and call out your depression and call out your diagnosis. I believe he wants to bring you back to life. I believe he wants to bring your hope back to life. I think he wants to bring your spirit back to life. I think he wants to tell you today that he has never left you or abandoned you. He will not forsake you. He is walking alongside of you. I think he wants to tell you today that he will rise you up on wings like eagles so that you will run and not grow weary, that you will walk and not faint. I'm telling you that he's looking in the grave and just like he raised Lazarus from the dead and he raised me and my wife Haley from the dead. He can do it for you too, church. I believe he wants to do it in your life. The miracle is coming. But you know, there's one last part of this message that stood out to me. Because I actually read this text about a year and a half ago before Haley and I ever talked to a doctor. Remember I told you that this has been stirring in my heart for a while? Yeah, it's been marinating for a little bit. And I read this text, and there's a last part of this message, a part that I had never seen before. 
Because to me, when I read the story and I saw that Jesus waited two days to come visit Mary and Martha, I was like, Jesus, why would you do that? Why didn't you just do the miracle right away? It would have been a miracle if you made Lazarus not sick anymore, the same way it's a miracle if you brought him back from the dead. So why don't you do it today instead of two days from now? And then I read this in the text, that many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Which means, the church, I don't know why God has not come through for you already. But I do know if you will just wait two days, other people will come into your circumstances. Other people will come into your sphere of influence. Other people will come alongside of you in your moments of greatest pain. And whenever God does do the miracle, they get to see it. They get to see God's power on display. They get to see what God really wants to do in your life and in their life. Imagine somebody that is in your sphere of influence that doesn't know Jesus yet, that if you will just tell them about the thing that you're hoping and waiting for, that whenever God finally comes through, that person stands and goes, I've got no other explanation other than the fact that that was God, and they put their faith in Jesus as a result of your circumstances. I'm telling you today, church, my story is not like amazing, it's not unique, there's plenty of other people that have gone through similar things as what I have, but I have made a commitment today that I am not going to waste the miracle that God did in my life. I'm gonna share the story, and I hope I can just stir up your faith and tell you that God is for you, he has a plan for you, it is good, it is not for disaster, it is to give you a future and a hope. So will you get that in your spirit today? Would you you remind your soul today that the miracle is coming. Just keep waiting. And if you're here today and you say, I, I need that encouragement today. In fact, here's what I want to ask. If you're here today and you're at a place where it's like, I, I need a miracle because it can't be anything else. Then I wonder all over this place, if that's you, you're in a place where you need a miracle, I just wonder, would you, would you be bold and raise your hand? Just say, I need a miracle today. It's amazing. Keep your hands up for a second. Online, let us know. Let us know in the chat. Here's what I want you to do, okay? Church, we're gonna come together. We're gonna pray over these people, all right? And uh, I'm gonna ask something a little bit different. We've never done this before, I don't think. But if you're near somebody with their hand up, would you just like reach out and put your hand on their shoulder? Can we just like come alongside of people I promise you, this is something that believers have done for hundreds and thousands of years. Come on, can we just pray? Can we pray that the miracle comes today? Because God's capable of it. Let's do it together, church. Why don't you open up your heart to God? Father, we love you. We're so thankful for you. God, we need you here today. God, would you come and be in this place? God, in the places when we need a miracle and the hurt and the hopelessness and the, the helpless feelings that we have, the grief, the loss, the anxiety, the bitterness, the resentment that has stored itself in our soul, God, we turn it over to you and re we release it to you. We ask for healing in Jesus' name. We ask for hope in Jesus' name. We ask for restoration in Jesus' name. God, I pray over every person who's wanted to give up, would you restore? their soul and spirit today, God. Would you do a fresh work and something new in this place today, God, because you are worthy of it. You are worthy to be praised, God, and people will praise you as a result. God, we can't wait to give you the credit because it's not because of us. 
Would you come alongside of us today? Would you provide the miracle? And in the meantime, help us wait well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Church, this is so important to me that my story, like I said, is not 100% unique. And I didn't tell that story to just get like emotion out of you. It was not my goal. But my goal is that I'm not going to waste what God did in my life without sharing the story for you. And here's what I learned whenever I walked through that season of, of grief and loss. I learned that whenever I was going through those hardest moments, there was always somebody that I could turn to, even when I couldn't go to Haley. I could always turn to my Father in heaven. I always knew that he heard me. He may have been silent, but I always knew that he heard me, which meant that I had confidence that whatever may have happened around me, it couldn't take away what God was doing inside of me. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'd love to invite you into that kind of peace where whatever happens, the worst day you will ever have on earth pays nothing compared to what you will experience when you get to heaven. And I'd love to invite you into that relationship with Jesus today. So would you join me? Would you just open up your heart to God right now one more time? And if that's you, you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, I want you to pray something like this. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm trusting you with my life. I need more of you. Forgive me of all the things I've done wrong and help me live a life with you as my number one priority. Pray it in Jesus' name. And while everybody's still focused on God, I wonder all over this place, if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, if you'd be bold and raise your hand right now just saying, I put my faith in Jesus today. I'm trusting God with my life. That's incredible. That's awesome. I see you online. Let us know. Type faith into the comments. You'll have an opportunity to let us know on a connect card here in just a second. And Journey, can we take a moment? Can we celebrate all of the new family of faith that we have? Come on, celebrating people that put their faith in Jesus. Thank God.